Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown Christ to us and that you have given us your word. We are so blessed, Lord, to have Christ with us, to walk with you, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have your word in our hands. And Lord, we pray that as we look into your word now, that that you would speak to us, that you would change us as we meet with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing this sermon series entitled Words to Live By. Um, And yes, it's my top ten favorite verses. Although I hope that, uh, a couple things I hope. I hope that you don't know, that you know that I don't know the difference. No, wait. I hope that you, oh boy. I hope that you know that I know that a verse is one verse and two verses, two verses. But sometimes these verses just run together, you know, and you just can't separate them out. So some of my top ten verses are more than one verse. Some of them are two. Even one of them, I think, is three verses long. Uh, but the other thing I hope is that you recognize that this sermon series is not about me. That the, the reason we're doing this top ten favorite verses of mine um, is because I wanted to, to encourage you all as well to treasure Scripture. So I've been telling you for a few weeks now, I would love to see your list. And some of you have already been sending me your list. And actually, I really appreciated One of you sent me your list, and you had five honorable mention verses on it as well, just like I do and mine. So, um, but yeah, send me your list, and I would be glad to send out those lists to the congregation as well. And I, I just think together we can encourage each other to treasure Scripture like that as we look at these, these wonderful, beautiful verses that God has given to us. We know that His Word is living and active, and that there's going to be... Uh, great results in our lives as we let God's word have its rightful place in our lives. So again, I'm, I'm walking through this uh, top ten list of my favorite verses. Um, I remember that when I was in high school, uh, I went to a Christian high school, I went to Hillcrest in town here, and at the end of, of our time there, in our senior year, every senior was supposed to pick a, a verse for them that would go in their yearbook. And I remember thinking, I want to have my own verse for that. My parents had picked a, a verse for me earlier. I, I went to a church where we did, we did confirmation, and my parents picked out a verse for me, and it was a good one. I'll mention it later. But I kind of wanted to have my own verse. So I had already started reading through Scripture on a regular basis, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to keep my eyes open for one that really speaks to me. And as I was doing that, I found one. I found Psalm 16:8, And for a very long time, I called that my favorite verse. In fact, uh, by the time I, you guys hired me here at Cornerstone at age 30, I, was, uh, I, I still said that that was my favorite verse. Although, fast forward 12 years later now, I went through this project earlier this year where I picked out my top 10 favorite verses. And Psalm 16:8 didn't actually make my top 10. It did make my honorable mention list, though. It's still a verse that I love. And I love thinking about that time in my life where, where God showed me that verse, and it's, it's meant so much to me. And um, like I said, I wanted to share my honorable mention verses with you. So here is Psalm 16:8, and it fits in with today as well. Psalm 16:8. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I love this idea that we do not need to be shaken that we can have the Lord at our side. You think about all the stuff in life that we go through that could shake us. Or you think about King David who wrote these words. Think about all the terrible, bad stuff that happened in his life. Stuff that none of us would want to go through. But King David learned this lesson that setting the Lord always before him, having the Lord at his right hand, helped him to know that he did not need to be shaken. This verse is actually quoted in the New Testament as well in reference to Jesus so this, this verse actually is what Jesus did as well. Jesus set the Lord always before him at his right hand. And he knew that he did not need to be shaken. Even when Jesus was crucified for our sins, 
Jesus knew that he did not need to be shaken. We also do not need to be shaken in life. But, and this is a huge but, this doesn't happen in our own power. What I'm talking about here, what this verse is talking about, is not just simply us you know, stiffening up our, our back and saying, I can handle it, bring it on, whatever you got, I can take it. That's not what this is. This is trusting that God can bring us through whatever he allows us to go through. This is trusting in his strength that if it's just us by ourselves, well, sure, we can be shaken. Absolutely. And you think about all the stories of all the people that have gone through this world and bad stuff has happened to them and they weren't with the Lord in the midst of it and think about what could happen. Think about the terrible, terrible ways our lives could go if we meet it in our own power. But for those of us who have set the Lord always before us at our right hand, we need not be shaken. And actually that reminds me of the verse that my parents picked out for me at my confirmation. Philippians 4.13 I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's the idea here. It's not my strength that gets me through. It is God's strength that gets us through. So this life should be about how we trust in the Lord. But if we're going to live that kind of a life where we're trusting in the Lord, it it means that we're going to need to know Him. It means that we're going to need to submit to His ways. It it means that we really should be getting to know God's Word and, and living this life according to the truth of His Word. And that brings us to the verse that I want to focus on today. Although, let me say a quick word about why I'm only doing one of my top ten verses today. You know, in this sermon series, I told you that I have ten favorite verses, and we were going to do two of them each Sunday for a five-week sermon series. Well, I was studying this week the the two different verses that I was going to look at, and I just noticed I had so many notes on John 17, 17. And um, this this might shock some of you, especially my kids, but uh, especially Josiah here. Um, it's not my goal to preach really long, long sermons, okay? I, t- I take no pleasure in, like, keeping you here longer than you need to be here. Um, so I was looking at my notes this week and just thinking there's so much good stuff that I want to say about John 17:17, 17, 17, and I don't want to, like, just cram it all in and then cram the next one in as well. So I actually extended this sermon series by at least one week, and, and maybe I'll do it again. I don't know. But uh, we're just going to look at John 17:17 17, 17 today, and we'll look at Romans 12, 1 through 2 next Sunday. Um, so the idea for this sermon is, along with Psalm 16:8, that, that God will strengthen us for whatever we go through. With him at our right hand, we need not be shaken. But that means that we need to do life the way that he wants us to do it. And that life has a lot to do with God's truth and with God's plans to make us holy. So my title for today's sermon is Made Holy by God's Truth. Made Holy by God's Truth. Uh, so we're going to look at our, our verse for the day. We've got a new graphic here. This is, this is my top ten list, kind of family feud style there. We've already gone through numbers one, three, five, and nine. And we're going to look at number seven today. I'm, I'm not trying to do the odd ones first. It just worked out that way. But uh, so as we get to number seven on my list, we see that that's John 17:17. 17, 17. So here is the verse. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now, some of you might be wondering, how are you going to make a whole sermon on just that one verse? It doesn't even take up a whole line on the screen up there. Uh, Well, there is so much wonderful stuff packed in here. And uh, this, by the way, these words were spoken by Jesus. Or more accurately, accurately, we should say that they were prayed by Jesus. So where we are here, a little bit of context. John 17, the chapter, is the longest recorded prayer from Jesus that we have in Scripture. 
Uh, it was the night before he was crucified. And I, I love this section of scripture. If you think about John 13 through 17, it's what Jesus told his followers the night before he was crucified. So you think about all the important things that Jesus wanted to say to them, to explain to them about what their lives should look like after Jesus was crucified, and then after Jesus uh, raised and, and went up to heaven as well. And then at the end of that time with his disciples in chapter 17, he prayed for them. And apparently he prayed for them in such a way that they were able to hear what he prayed because the Apostle John wrote it down. Um, and so I want to read a little bit of the context. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but just a little snippet of it here. Verses 15 through 19. Jesus prayed, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So this is the passage, you know, you hear the, the saying a lot, in the world but not of the world. This is where we get that from. We're to be in the world but not of the world. So what should we do? One theologian I read this week pointed out something. I thought this was pretty cool. He said that at least three Old Testament prophets, Moses, Elijah, and Jonah, all prayed that God would take them out of this world. Remember that? They were going through a difficult time, and basically their prayer was, oh, God, just take me. I don't like it here anymore. Just take me. And maybe some of us have felt that way at times, right? Um, but the interesting thing for that is God did not grant those requests at those times. You see, God's plan is to strengthen his people in this world. Now, yes, there, there will come a day where God takes us out and uh, eventually it's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. But for now, as long as we're here, we should recognize that God wants to strengthen us in this world. And that's interesting because, especially in the Gospel of John, the word world is, is a, it's a dark place. The world is a, is a description of the place where spiritual darkness is. And that's where not only do we live, that's where we are sent. So what are we going to need? If we, if we are to be sent by God into a spiritually dark place, what are we going to need? We're going to need to be made holy. And it was interesting. Um, some Christians have tried to do it a different way. They've tried to almost become hermits. And you can think historically about this. That's, that's what hermits did. That's what some of the monks did. They, they saw all the evil of this world and they had perhaps a... It was a pious thought of theirs to think, okay, I'm going to just separate myself from the world. I'm going to build my own place, my own enclave here, and I'm just going to worship God here all by myself. So I'm not tainted by the things of this world. Just me and God, I'm going to do it that way. Well, I'd like to suggest to you that that's not the pattern that we see, especially the pattern that we see here in John 17. What we see here instead is that God wants to strengthen us and send us into this world. And, and today, I think there's a there's a danger for us Christians, that not that we would be hermits or monks, but perhaps that we would almost live that kind of a lifestyle. Think how easy it is for us to have our Christian family, uh, our Christian church, our Christian friends. And I, I read somebody who said it's almost like, um, well, I'll change the illustration a little bit, but it's almost like we're like prairie dogs. You know how prairie dogs, they stay right by their hole and they stand up, and when they see danger, they just go right back into their hole. Now, it's good to have a home, right? It's good to have a safe place. It's good to have a family and a church where we can be together and encourage each other and strengthen each other. But it's also good for us to remember that we are sent into this world. And that's why, again, it is so important that we would be sanctified for that that we would be made holy. I, I wouldn't want any of us to, to go into this world without that, that sanctification that happens. 
So um, it, it's super important as we look again specifically at John 17, 17, where Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now the word sanctify simply means make holy. So that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about being made holy. And I love, um, I've, I've quoted this a lot, and Christine told me not to do it in my Spanish accent, so I won't. But uh, one of my Spanish-speaking brothers in Christ said something like this. You English speakers have made this word too hard, sanctification. In Spanish, we don't have sanctification, we just have holification. And, and that's all that the word means, is to be made holy. So I can maybe ask my Spanish-speaking friends to verify. Is that right? And may, Maybe you don't know, but uh, the word sanctification just means to be made holy. Um, Jesus prayed this for us. So as I was thinking about this verse now, I was thinking, oh boy, we, we really should spend some time to figure out what the word holy means. And, and again, that's why uh, I wanted to extend this sermon and just make it on this one verse instead of adding other verses. I, I want to do a little theology right now. Um, and just a, a little bit about uh, my preaching style here. I, I like to make it so that if a newcomer comes in, they can understand the stuff that we're talking about. But I also like to have some stuff in my sermons where we maybe dig a little bit deeper. So for the, if there's somebody here who's newer in their faith or younger, some of this stuff might go a little bit over your head. But what it means for us to grow as, as Christians is to grow in our knowledge as well. We, we actually talked about that last Sunday. We pray that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So I want to spend a little bit of time, uh, hopefully, to allow our knowledge to grow about what the word holy means. It can be actually a really difficult word to understand or to try to define. So I've got uh, a question here. What does holy mean? And I have five answers that I want to give to that. And, and these are uh, in your bulletin as well. So first, the word holy means set apart. So we're, we're thinking about the Old Testament here. There is a word for holy, and the word itself means to be set apart. Now, when I think of that, I like to think of it in two ways. That, that we are to be separate, and we are to be sinless. And, and perhaps the best way to think about this is to think about God. The, the fact that he is both separate and sinless. Um, now, when we say that God is separate, what we're saying is that he is not like us. If we were to compare him and him and us, we would recognize that he comes out on top. He is the exalted one. There is something other about him. Theologians like to use that word, that he is other than us. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't meet with us. That's very clear from Scripture that, that God meets with us and actually makes his home with us. But there's something different about him and us. He is, he is the high and exalted one. And then also, God is sinless. God has never sinned. He never will sin. So his holiness includes his perfection. He is set apart from us and that he is perfect. He is sinless. Now, at this point, we might be thinking, okay, God is holy, but I'm not. Now, this is where the Bible, to me, gets super interesting. God doesn't look at, at that, that gap between his holiness and our holiness and say, well, I want you guys to try to be holy, so do your best, but you're just going to fall short, but whatever. Uh, that's not what God says. What does God say? Maybe some of you know the verse that's in my mind right now. God says, be holy. Why? Because I am holy. It's in 1 Peter 1.16 in the New Testament. It's at least three places in the Old Testament. God says, be holy because I am holy. So that leads to our second point. We are to be holy because God is holy. Now again, I find it fascinating that God doesn't lower his standard for us. His standard is his own perfect holiness. 
So Christian, please know that the life you are called to is not the life where you just simply put forth your best effort and give it your best shot. Now, of course, we're supposed to try. We're supposed to give our best effort. But the Christian life, we're actually called to something higher than that. We are called to, the, to live according to the perfect standard of God's holiness. Now, again, at this point, you might be thinking, but I can't do that on my own. And that's exactly the right thought that you should have at this moment. We can't do that on our own. We can't be holy on our own. We have proven, at least I have, over and over and over again, that we are not holy on our own. We need God's help. And that leads to my third point about holiness. God makes us holy through an initial change and then an ongoing process. Now, this is where many of you uh, have probably learned this idea about um, justification and sanctification and glorification. Uh, It's often talked about as a three-step process. Justification would be that part where initially we come to know Christ and, and God saves us. He declares us righteous. And then sanctification would be that ongoing process where God makes us holy, and glorification is the end when we get to meet God face-to-face and he makes us perfect. It's, it's a really helpful way to understand things, although let me also say about it that oftentimes the Bible talks about being made holy, that sanctification process, that middle process. The same word sanctification can also be used for that initial part, for our conversion. So I, I know that may be a little bit confusing, but please know that if we're talking about justification and sanctification, sometimes the word sanctification actually covers both of them. And I want to show you a couple of verses on this to show you both the the initial part and then the process. They both come from Hebrews 10. The first one is verse 10 in Hebrews 10, which which says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So this is the good news of the gospel, right? We are not holy on our own. But God, through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, makes us holy. For every one of us who has received Jesus as Savior and Lord, we we have been cleansed, we have been made pure, we have been declared righteous because of what Jesus did. We weren't righteous on our own, and that was a huge problem. We couldn't make it to heaven uh, on our own because we would be unrighteous, unholy. But God did that for us. And look at what it says here in Hebrews 10.10. Once for all. It's, it's a repeated phrase in the book of Hebrews that is so powerful. Once for all, we've been made holy through what Jesus did for us. So have you received Jesus like that? Have you recognized that you are not holy enough on your own to make it to God? Have you recognized that God's only solution for that would be that we, we would trust in Jesus Christ, that we would believe in him as our Savior and Lord. And you can do that by receiving him. Just even right now in prayer, you could talk to God and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So that's that initial part where we are made holy once for all when we receive Jesus Christ. But then just four verses later, look what Hebrews 10.14 says. Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So again, there's that, the initial part that's mentioned there. It's by the sacrifice of Jesus, he made perfect forever. But then look what it says. Those who are being made holy. So here's the process. God starts this process of holy, holifying us, sanctifying us when we receive Jesus, and he continues it as we keep walking with Jesus. So holiness can be described both as this initial change. Here, I'll put this back up here both as this initial change and then this ongoing process. It's uh, what theologians call the, uh, you can either call it the both-and principle or the already-not-yet principle. We've already been made holy, but there's still more to come. There's still more that God wants to do in us. 
And this is really important as we move on to our fourth point about holiness. We are to be holy because we are God's temple. We are God's temple. I know a lot of you know these verses here. Um, I'm going to show you uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? So this, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Similarly, we're also told that Jesus, when we receive him as Savior and Lord, he comes and takes up residence in our heart. And also, God the Father in John 14 is said to take up residence in us. So all three members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, live in us. Makes us the temple. And what does the temple need to be? Holy. Holy. Good job. Somebody got it. So, I've already shown you that we can't be holy on our own, but we need to be holy in order to have this relationship with God that we were created for. And that's why it's so important to remember that God does this for us in us. Okay. And then one more thing I want to say about this description of holiness. To be holy means to be set apart for God's purposes. I already mentioned that holy means set apart. Now I want to specifically talk about being set apart for God's purposes. And I want to use an illustration here. You think about the, uh, the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. And, and the tabernacle was just kind of the, the first one. It was a tent, so it was, it was mobile. And then eventually they made a, a, a structure. I was going to call it a permanent structure, but it wasn't because it was destroyed. But anyways, you get the idea. The, the tabernacle came first, and then the temple came second. But the same idea is behind both of them. It's the place where God met with his people. Now, in the tabernacle, there were utensils that were to be used there. And one of those utensils was a shovel. So we're going to talk, think about a shovel that is used in the temple. So it would go through this process where it would be anointed and consecrated, it made holy, so it would be set apart for use in the temple. Now I want you to picture an Israelite farmer. He's out in his field with his shovel and he's spreading manure one day. And uh, he wants to get the job done because it's going to rain or whatever. And he's, he's spreading his manure and his shovel breaks. I want you to picture this guy going to the tabernacle. He sees a priest there. He says, hey, I was, in my sh- I was in my field and my shovel broke. I know you've got one in the tabernacle there. Could I borrow it to finish my job? What would the answer be? No. Because that shovel in the temple is set apart for holy purposes. You wouldn't use it for something common like that. Now, the reason I like this illustration is because we are to be like that shovel in the temple. We are to be set apart for holy purposes. Now, I'm not saying that that we shouldn't be out in our farms spreading manure. What what I am saying is that we should only be doing the things that God leads us to do. That that our lives are to be uh, so taken with this idea of pursuing holiness that we would only do those things for which God has set us apart, for God's purposes. Does that make sense? We, we are not to live like the people of this world. They use their shovel for anything. We are different. We, we are to do only those things that are holy. And as we think about our purposes then, specifically in John 17, it talks a lot about mission. Look at John 17:18. Jesus said, he prayed, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So this becomes a huge part of our purpose, that we would be sent into this world on mission with Jesus. And when I think about Jesus' mission, I love Luke 19.10 on this. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So we, we're not shovels, we're people. We're supposed to live holy lives, and as we live holy lives, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to join Jesus in what he was doing, and that was to seek and to save the lost. 
So one of the reasons that we're still here in this world, like, and it's the same reason that Jesus didn't, that God didn't answer that prayer of Moses and Elijah and Jonah to take them away from this world, is because there's still important things to do here. We are on mission. We are to live holy lives and join with God in this mission of going into the world and shining His lights. We are to be with Christ in whatever we do. So again, part of being on mission, um, part of being holy means to be on mission, to be set apart for God's purposes in this world. We are to continually be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ because we are to be holy. We can't be that on our own, but God will do it in us. So what I want to do now, now that we've, uh, we've done some theology here, okay? So we're, we're moving on from this theological section. I want to show you how Jesus said that this holiness would happen in us. In John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed that we would be made holy by the truth of God. And then he added in his prayer, Your word is truth. And I like to point out at this point that, that Jesus didn't need to remind God that his word is truth. I think that that little part in there is for us. As Jesus was praying, he wanted to remind us that God's word is truth. Jesus prayed that we would be made holy by the truth of God's word. And remember, when did Jesus say this? The night before he was crucified. He had been walking around with his disciples, teaching them wonderful truths about God, and then he was about to be killed and and would shortly thereafter be raised and, and would go back to heaven. And he would no longer be walking around with them, but he reminded them and us here in this passage that God's word would be with us. And now it's even better as we think about us, where, where we stand now, because we know that when we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, He comes to live in our hearts. And remember, what's one of the names for Jesus? He is the Word. He is the Word. So we have Jesus living in our hearts, and He is the Word. We also have God's Word, the Bible, in our hands. We also have this prayer that Jesus has already prayed for us, because in verse 20, I forgot to mention this earlier, in verse 20 of this chapter, Jesus said that he was praying not only for his followers there, but for all who would believe in their message. That includes us. So, Jesus lives in us. We have God's word. Jesus has prayed that we would be made holy. God is going to answer that prayer. But that happens according to God's word. We are made holy according to the truth of God's word. That begins for us at conversion, when we first receive Jesus, and then it continues as a lifelong process as we meet with God in his word. God has a plan to make us holy through his word. In fact, that's my big idea for today. God has a plan to make us holy through his word. And by the way, Jesus has a very high opinion of God's word. He said things like, Scripture cannot be broken, and man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I... One of the reasons I love this verse in John 17, 17 is just a reminder for me of what God is is up to in our lives. He is up to this process of making us holy and he does so through his word. So what I want to do now is I want to close my sermon with three points of application and then I want to give a personal story. So my first point of application here is that let God's word have its rightful place in your life. Now, if we're thinking about Jesus as the Word, that means receiving Him and knowing Him and walking with Him. 
If we're thinking about God's word, the Bible, that means letting the Bible have its rightful place in our lives, in our schedules. And here's where I'm such a big fan of spending time every day with an open Bible. If it's, you know, there, there's a saying in life, we, we make time for what's important. Too often I hear people saying, oh, I don't have time for God's word. Well, we make time for what's important. So let's make sure that we're letting God's word have its rightful place in our lives. And I think of that in three ways. I think individually, as a family, and as a church. So individually, that means that we, that we would find time for God's word. That we'd find a quiet time and a quiet place. We'd open God's word, and we would listen to what he says. And then as a family, and I know there's some of you who are single out there, so you can apply this one with your friends. Uh, but, so whether we're talking about as a family or as friends, finding regular rhythms in your life to talk about God's word together. And for families with kids, one of my favorite ways to do that is, our, is daily devotions. We have ours at nighttime before we go to bed. Our kids just know that uh, we do snack and we do devotions. And uh, it's just something that we have put in the regular rhythm of our family. And it's, what I've found over the years is that it's not just for the kids. Uh, I love their devotion times too because it's God's word and it can speak to my heart. So I want you to find that, that regular rhythm together. Um, for those of you, your, your kids have left the home, find a way to get God's word into your life together. And then as a church, I hope you've noticed that at Cornerstone that we highly value God's word and that we keep doing things that center on God's word, whether that's Sunday school or youth group or our home Bible studies or our men's groups or our women's groups or our sermons or even the songs we sing, that, that we want God's word to be central because we believe that there is power in the word of God. So, um, let God's word have its rightful place in your life. And then, um, these application points, they all build on each other, so the second one follows along these lines here. Meet with God in his word. Being made holy by the truth of God's word isn't simply a matter of reading or listening to God's word. Now, that might sound strange after what I just said in number one, but listen again. It's not simply a matter of reading to or listening to God's word. It's a matter of also meeting with God in his word. Um, if you're like me, you've had plenty of times in your life where you open up your Bible and you read through it and you close it and you're like, what did I just read? <laughs> I want something more than that. Now, um, I think it's good, like I said in point number one, to have that regular rhythm where we open up God's word, but also let's try to remind ourselves every time we open up God's word that he can speak to us, that we can meet with him, that we can be changed by him as we meet with him in his word. The same Holy Spirit who oversaw the, the entire process of, of the writing of the Bible also lives in us so that when we open up God's word, we can actually have this fellowship, this communion with God as we read his word. So how are you doing at that? Um, again, I've already encouraged you to have a regular time in number one, regular time with God in his word. But are you meeting with God? So I'm speaking to your heart right now. I'm not just saying about can you point to me you know, the, the time yesterday when you read the Bible or you know, what's the last book of the Bible you read? That, those are good things that we should be doing, but are you meeting with God as you read his word? I pray that your heart will draw closer and closer to God and that he will transform you as you meet with him in his word. But then there's another step too, again, and this one builds on the first two. Application number three is obey and apply God's word. 
It would be a big bummer to meet with God in His Word. So we open up the Bible, we read it, we're meeting with God in His Word, and then we close the Bible and we forget what we read and we just go on to our own day. I've had days like that. I'll, I'll be the first to admit. There have been times where I, I've had good times with God in His Word, and then I close my Bible and I go on to the next part of my day and I'm bitter or I'm impatient. Yuck! That's, that's not what we want here. We want God's word to, to sanctify us and to make us holy. And I think one of the ways that happens is, is we recognize that, that the time that we spend reading God's word is not the end goal. The end goal is that we would walk with God. And one of the ways that we do this is that we obey and we apply God's word. That, we, that we're praying that God would strengthen us for those purposes. So one tip I have along those lines is when you're, when you're reading God's word, when, you're, when you finish the, the part that you're going to read for that day, just look over it again really quickly and pick out one or two things to pray about and to ask God to apply. So, because uh, again, the, the point is not simply that we would read it and not even just that we would meet with God, although that's a, that's a great thing to do. Both of those are great things to do. But also that we would apply it, that we would obey, that we would take God's word into our lives. Because that's, that's where the rubber meets the road in holiness. We'll, we'll, we'll see it in our lives as we live according to it. And God will do this in us. By the way. This is one of the cool things. We do these three things. We meet with God. Uh, we, we read his word. We meet with God. We obey and apply his word. He is the one who makes us holy. He will transform us. And you might not see this like on a day-to-day basis, but you will see it on a year-to-year basis if you commit to it. Okay, I want to end my sermon now with a story. I've shared this story before, although, you know, this, uh, this 10 favorite verses sermon series that I'm doing, it's also, to me, kind of like a favorite stories sermon series that I'm doing as well. So I, I've shared this story here before, but I want to share it again. There was a time in my life where I, uh, I left for a year to be a missionary in Turkey. And I was not one of these people who just always, you know, wanted an adventure. I wanted to go overseas. and No, that was not me. I kind of like America. I like Taco Bell and baseball, and uh, they don't have those things in Turkey. And, uh, so I, I was not just desperately wanting to go there, but I felt the call of the Lord to go there for a year, so I left. I left pretty much... Everybody I knew, um, there, were, there was a team of six of us that were going, and, and two of them had been there before. So we, we show up to Turkey. It's midnight. Um, and I've explained before, I was sick when we were coming in, and my ear didn't adjust on the flight. And it was just, I was just in a ton of pain. I was tired. I was sick. It was dark. And we hop in this taxi, and they take us just, you know, who knows where I'm going. They turn left, turn right. I have no idea where I am. And they finally say, okay, here's your apartment. And I... I put my stuff up there, I find my bed, go to sleep, I wake up the next morning, and it's like, where am I? Who, what am I doing here? What is my life going to look like? I, like? I don't know if some of you maybe ever had that experience. It's like, is this for real? Is this what I'm going to be doing? But I got up out of bed that day, grabbed my Bible, sat on the couch, and immediately as I opened up God's Word, I had this peace that came over me, this peace of, oh yeah, God is with me. See, we, we are meant to be people of the book. We are meant to be people who trust what God says in his word. And we're all going to go through difficult times. Jesus promised us that there's going to be trouble. But if we are going to be people who commit to reading God's word and meeting with him and obeying and applying his word, we can, we can have the peace that passes understanding. We can be changed and transformed. There's another verse that I love. I'm going to flip to it and read it here. 
Um, I've got this one up on my office wall. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. So the idea is that as we meet with God, He transforms us. He brings us from one degree of glory to another. On our own, we don't have that power. We don't have the power to make ourselves into the people that we want to be. Now, we can, we can go through processes. We can, we can try to, to change things in our lives. We can even have some success. But if we're talking about holiness, it's only God who does that. And Jesus prayed that that would happen according to the truth of God's word. So I pray that we will be people who, who let God's word have its rightful place in our lives but also that we would meet with God and that we would take God's word with us by obeying and applying it 24-7. So what needs to happen for you? What needs to happen for you in order to, to take these steps? We know what God is going to do. God is going to keep answering that prayer of Jesus to make his people holy according to the truth of God's word. He will do that. Will you be somebody who trusts him to do that? by letting God's word have its rightful place, by meeting with him, and by obeying and applying his word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you do in us through your word, that you make us holy, that you continue to answer that prayer that Jesus prayed. And God, we pray that we would be people who joyfully join with you in that process. So help us to know what it means to let your word have its rightful place in our lives. God, show us in our schedules, in our daily lives, what it means for us to commit to opening up your word and to reading it. And God, as we read it, I pray that it wouldn't just be words on the paper to us, but that we would meet with you. Thank you, God, that we can meet with you. And God, would you also help us to obey and apply it. Show us specifically, day after day, Show us what you want us to hear from you, how you want to change us. And then, God, we pray that you would do the part that only you can do, that you would make us holy according to the truth of your word. And, Lord, help us to remember the, the mission that we are sent on as we do this, the mission of being sent into this world, joining with Jesus in his great commission. God, would you please strengthen us in the power of the Holy Spirit to live according to your word, the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.